The story of autism is often told through dramatic scenes, violent tantrums, extreme miscommunications, visible distress. But many people on the spectrum, especially women, go largely unnoticed. They quietly suppress the repetitive behaviors, social discomfort, and other signs that could mark them as somehow different. As William Mandy, a clinical psychologist in London, explains, these practices have come to be known as camouflaging. So camouflaging uh, is a term that describes a kind of set of behaviors that some, or indeed many autistic people use, essentially to hide their autism in social situations. So it could include behaviors that we call masking, behaviors that are designed to sort of cover up or disguise autistic characteristics, and also compensation is another part of it. So the kind of acquisition of skills and abilities that help people manage social situations. You're listening to Spectrum Stories, the podcast from Spectrum, the leading source for news and expert opinion on autism research. I'm Jacob Brogan. In this episode, we'll hear about some of the benefits of camouflaging, as well as the burdens it imposes on people with autism. But we'll also learn a little bit about the work that researchers are doing to better understand it and to pin down exactly what it entails. As Meng Chun Lai, assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto in Canada, explains, camouflaging encompasses the various ways that people on the spectrum adapt to their environments. It could be related not only to an autistic individual, but also how the neurotypical or the, the other people around this individual interact with them. So, you know, it's a relatively vague construct so far because we are still diving into how to measure it and what are the components involved in camouflaging uh, within this, this individual and uh, around this individual. In some cases, these adaptations make it harder for people on the spectrum to receive a diagnosis. That may have been true for Delane Swearman, who didn't receive a diagnosis until she was 35. Now 38, she told me that she had been camouflaging long before she understood what she was camouflaging. I've been camouflaging my whole life, but I didn't even know that I was autistic my whole life. So just to be accepted into the world, uh, accepted by peers, um, I copied people, just observed what they were doing, and followed along. I mean, some of it wasn't necessarily camouflaging, but some of it was because um, it wasn't what I would have been comfortable with. And I was maybe told that's what you were supposed to do or um, that's just how I was taught to, to do things. The question of comfort is critical in conversations about camouflaging. As Swearman points out, for people with autism, camouflaging is often about setting others at ease. So many times I feel when I say, um, oh, I'm autistic or something like that, they're just like, oh, but you're so high-functioning or I could never tell. Well, the reason is because I'm really good at camouflaging it. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that I'm not autistic. It's that you don't see all the things that are going on 
behind the scene, you don't see all the things in my brain that I'm, like, blocking so you can't tell. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm accommodating you so you don't see those things because you don't want to see what's not, like, socially normative. <laughs> those attempts to accommodate others come at a high cost for many people with autism. Scientists such as Lai have heard about some of those costs in their research. We heard a lot from uh, people who are on the spectrum saying that usually uh, camouflaging is like uh, doing a performance, right? So you, you spend lots of efforts and you monitor a lot about yourself in the environment and how, how you act, and it takes lots of uh, mental energy so they can easily feel exhausted afterwards. And if you have to camouflage in the long term, there might be, you know, um, adaptive side of it, meaning that they could probably, quote-unquote, pass um, some of the difficulties. But on the other hand, it's a, it's a chronic stressful experience. So it could lead to uh, mental health concerns like anxiety or depression. Some of that stress seems to derive from the synthetic quality of camouflaging. When you have to accommodate others all the time, you just don't get to be who you are. Many autistic people describe camouflaging as exhausting, causing burnout and, and, and stress. And they also sometimes describe it as challenging to the development of a kind of solid self-identity. You know, this notion that if, you're, if you spend so much of your life pretending to be somebody else, what does that do to the development of your sense of you as a person? Drawing on her own experiences, Swearman reaffirms that observation. When you're camouflaging, you're almost being dishonest. You're not really being your full self. Kind of like when you get caught up in a lie, uh, you, it gets really um, hard to keep up a facade the whole time. It gets very tiring. And the same way about camouflaging all the time, it's just it's very tiring to do. You just really want to be yourself and be who you really are. You want to stop, like, putting on this, you know, stop acting all day and, and just be who you really are. As Mandy notes, those burdens can weigh down people with autism even when they're engaged in seemingly casual social situations. You know, many autistic people will say, you know, even perhaps going down out for a drink with some friends who, who are neurotypical and they're camouflaging and they're having to kind of work hard to, to interact in a more neurotypical way, they'll describe that experience of being really exhausting and requiring them to go home and decompress and perhaps spend some time on their own in the dark. When you're at home, obviously you don't have to camouflage. Like, well, I mean, I don't have to anyway. I live by myself. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe some people, if they're not really comfortable, like if they live with roommates or, you know, people that they're, depending on their living situation. But for me anyway, because I live by myself, I don't have to camouflage. I can come home and do whatever I want. You know, I can turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off all the lights. I can do anything I want. But when you're out in a public, if people want to talk to you and you don't feel like talking, um, you kind of have to camouflage your discomfort around 
wanting to talk to people or if it's a bright situation and all the lights are on you kind of have to camouflage your discomfort about not wanting to be in a bright room or not wanting to be in a crowded area around people. Camouflaging also complicates the ways that researchers and clinicians study and treat autism. Simply put, it can be hard to recognize and care for some people on the spectrum because of the effort they put into fitting in. According to Allison Ratto at the Center for Autism Spectrum Disorders at Children's National Health System in Washington, D.C., that threatens to leave us with an oversimplified picture of the spectrum. I think it's really limiting what we understand about autism. So I think from both our research and increasingly from scientists like myself paying attention to what self-advocates have been talking about for years, we know that there is this group of people out there, particularly girls and women, who do not meet that surface kind of stereotypical idea of what autism looks like because they have learned so many strategies, which we often think about as camouflaging, that help them to get through social interactions. Here, there's also an important gender dynamic in play. For autistic people, they, when they camouflage, it's always very effortful, and it brings lots of exhaustions, and also they need lots of time to de-stress after that. But generally, I think people, like all autistic people, people on the spectrum, camouflage more or less to some extent. Although, I mean, from the, uh, the evidence we have so far, it seems to be more evident in women who are on the spectrum, and especially those who are not recognized early in life. And at least in part because camouflaging seems to be more prevalent in women with autism, studies of the condition have focused disproportionately on men with autism. That has potentially sweeping consequences for the way we understand the spectrum more generally. One of the things that we've been very dependent on as scientists in order to show that the people that we are including in our studies are people who truly have autism are what are considered the gold standard measures of autism spectrum disorder. And there's two that we use most commonly. One is the ADOS, the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule, and the other is the ADIR, the Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised. And if you take a look through the research literature on autism, very, very often, almost as just a check-the-box sort of thing, researchers are saying in their papers, everyone in this study met criteria on the ADOS or on the ADIR or on both. And I'm not sure that we need to reflexively do that. Even the ADOS and ADIR authors like Kathy Lord have come out and said, autism is not the ADOS and ADOS is not autism, right? This is a tool that can help us to understand and identify autism, but restricting our research to only the narrow group of people who very clearly meet criteria on one or even sometimes both of these measures is really going to restrict our understanding, particularly of these more um, subtle manifestations of autism in individuals who've learned a lot more of these social skills. In other words, an incomplete understanding of camouflaging may have left us with an incomplete understanding of autism more generally. When you're studying outward presentation, it's all too easy to overlook the things going on beneath the surface. Some researchers are working to change that by focusing on the experience of camouflaging. A lot of the work we've done in this area has been qualitative research. So you know, we took the view that actually this is a phenomenon that we don't know a lot about. 
that until recently hasn't been very well kind of conceptualized or hasn't been widely studied. So we would do some work where we essentially uh, sat down with autistic people, asked them questions, listened very carefully to, to what they told us, and then analyzed that using the formal qualitative analysis techniques to generate theory, really, to generate new ideas and to sort of systematize and deepen our understanding of camouflaging. Researchers such as Lai have also attempted to make sense of camouflaging in more quantitative terms. One effort that we, we've done before is trying to find uh, any discrepancy between how they present themselves social interpersonally and how they see themselves uh, inside of them in terms of how quote-unquote autistic they are so, or how autistic they are based on their, their reporting their own autistic traits along with their social cognitive abilities. So we create a measure uh, describing the discrepancy between the two and uh, trying to operationalize camouflaging through this, what we call discrepancy method. Ideally, this work should help clear some of the fog around camouflaging. In its own turn, that work could make a real difference in the lives of people with autism. We hope that by understanding more about camouflaging, we might get better at identifying autistic people earlier and therefore giving them the support they need. And in particular, uh, I think this pertains to identifying autistic girls and women, you know, who are traditionally subject to a, to a sort of diagnostic bias against them. As we come to understand camouflaging better, we may also find other ways to support people with autism. William Mandy, for one, observes that the research indicates camouflaging can sometimes have a positive impact. One of my hopes in, from this field is that as we understand the positive aspects of camouflaging better, we can use that to build better social skills interventions. You know, so if you like social skills training that's not about neurotypical people imposing on autistic people how they should behave, but rather reflects kind of success stories from the autism community about how best to adapt to the kind of demands of, of a neurotypical world. One key here is that the research might help typical people better accommodate those who are, as the title of one book on the topic has put it, pretending to be normal. Some of the most, in my opinion, constructive examples of that were when people said, well, when I first meet somebody, I might camouflage in order to kind of allow a relationship to be formed. But as I get to know them a bit better, I try and kind of drop the camouflaging and be more myself. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, that's quite a nice example of how it can almost be a bridge to other people, but not necessarily then people feeling they have to kind of keep up this act throughout the entire relationship that, that's formed. As Swearman observes, however, those who aren't on the spectrum can already try to make a difference. It starts, she says, with a willingness to be attentive and to ask thoughtful questions. Be more accommodating, accepting, ask. Like, you know, is this okay? Um, just learn, like, about the individual person. Because a lot of people are aware of autism, um, but they don't understand exactly what that means or how that affects an individual person. And so they need to find out with the individual person that they know, like, how autism impacts that person and what they can do to accommodate their needs and what needs they have. 
and um, just be very accepting of situations. And if someone says something related to autism, not to discount that. We can make that mental shift and look at these girls and women in a really different way. We have the chance to really help them not only be happy and successful in their own lives, but also benefit from their ability to contribute to the world in more meaningful ways. This has been an episode of Spectrum Stories, the podcast for Spectrum, the leading source for news and expert opinion on autism research. To learn more about camouflaging and autism, read Francine Russo's article, The Costs of Camouflaging Autism, available at spectrumnews.org. Audio for this episode was edited by Mickey Capper. I'm Jacob Brogan.